Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast, Season 3. I'm Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and your host. Together, we have made such a difference in the world. We've met with leaders and change makers in the foster care system. We've met with charities and philanthropists, celebrities, authors, and so much more. We'll continue to bring you guests who will share how together, as a community, we can bring about change. Welcome once again to Fostering Change. Well, you know, it's hard to believe we are here at another episode of Fostering Change. You know, this year has been a lot of highs, but also a lot of lows. There has been so much change within our country and things that we're seeing around the world. And, you know, every once in a while, we have podcasts that I just absolutely get excited for. I try to get excited for all of them, but this particular one, I was so thrilled when I looked at the calendar and saw that my friend was going to be on our podcast. My friend is the executive director of Unbelievable Resilience. She is also the manager of child welfare policy, American Academy of pediatrics. She actually did my favorite. And by the way, sorry for all those that are listening that have done these talks, but I'm telling you, this has been, this is my favorite, favorite TEDx talk that I have ever heard. I'm getting chills right now because the very first time I saw this TEDx talk, I will never forget saying to Reese, I have to meet her. She did a TEDx talk say, what can you learn from a trash bag? Come on, guys, you know me. They call me the trash bag guy. So, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to introduce my amazing friend, Carrie Richmond. Carrie, welcome to Fostering Change again. Thank you. I'm very excited to be back. And I had not remembered for a while, the story of how we met. And clearly when you said that to Reese, you manifested it because then when you won the Angels in Adoption Award, our paths crossed in 2018. And that was three years or a couple of years after my TEDx talk came out. So you manifested it. I, you know what, Carrie, I will tell you, I, I saw your TEDx talk and I just was like, oh my gosh, her and I talk the same language. And I remember, you know, when I got to meet you and then I remember us going to lunch. And do you remember there was like a, a one of the candidates, like the vice president or something was in the <laughs> restaurant that you... The vice president and like Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell. And you and I were trying to figure out who was in the restaurant because it was secret service. They were checking our IDs. Yeah. So we're like, I mean, Rob and I are cool, but not cool enough for secret service to protect the restaurant as we eat. That's exactly right. So Carrie, I want to tell you, you've been so busy. I have, you know, I follow you on social media. Those of you who um, really want to be uplifted and really have some really raw talk, by the way, I love the fact that there's, you know, one of the things that I get in trouble with all the time is I don't have a lot of filter and not everybody's going to agree with me and that's okay, but I just really say it like it is. And that's something that I love about you is that you truly just say, you know, like it truly is. Yeah, sometimes that gets me in trouble too. So I totally relate to not having a filter and I'm trying to work on that. How do we say things in a loving way 
because sometimes that fiery side comes out of me. <laughs> well, you know what? I love that fiery side. And I want to jump right into one of two of your full-time jobs, which is the executive director of Unbelievably Resilient. You know, for our listeners, and by the way, we are so absolutely grateful for all of our listeners and all of our viewers on our, on our YouTube channel, but let them know what Unbelievable Resilient actually is. Yeah, thanks so much. So Unbelievably Resilient is a nonprofit that exists to change the narrative around foster care. There's so many false stigmas and stereotypes about foster care, about those of us who have gone through the system that are so incredibly shaming. And if you want to talk about one of the most dangerous things in the world, it's shame. Shame leads to so many bad outcomes. And so we want to reclaim the narrative around our story and tell our story in our own way. I think, as you know, Rob, when you're in the system, so many people are speaking for you, they're telling your story. And so really our organization is about stories and about helping people to share their story in a way that they don't feel that shame, that they can realize that as horrid as it was, it contributed to who they are today and that there's so much strength and fortitude and resilience in that. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, Carrie, I have always said, you know, um, tell your story, you know, tell your story. We become stronger the more we tell our story. And I think we unite the more we tell our story. And, you know, I know for me, you know, 10 years ago, when I first told my story, you know, almost 11 years ago, actually, when I when I told my story, it was the very first time that I really felt free. I felt like, you know, no more did I have to be, you know, as you say, shamed, because I was a kid who grew up in the system because of a choice someone else made. I was a kid who aged out of the system and slept on the streets because of a choice someone else made. I was a kid that, you know, was felt forgotten because of choices other people made, but I was a shamed all of those years until I told my story. You know, Carrie, before we talk any more about Unbelievably Resilient, I'd like for you to let our listeners and our audience members and those who didn't hear the last podcast you were on with me, because you are one that I love to have back over and over again. Um, can you tell them a little bit about your backstory? Yeah. So my story was I went into the foster care system as a newborn baby. It was already decided that my mom had uh, her own mental health struggles and was deemed unfit to parent. So I went in as a newborn and got dropped off at a foster family's house. And they were told, you know, it's a 99% chance you're gonna adopt this baby. So they renamed me Teresa Kathleen, even though my birth certificate said Carrie Hope. And they were very shocked when a couple of years later, both my mom and dad went into a custody battle for me and my father won. So I went to live with him, stayed there for two years before I was put back into the system due to abuse and neglect. And unfortunately, I was adopted into a very chaotic, abusive family that really should not have adopted and I felt a lot of this heaviness that I should just be grateful that I had a family. And I felt a lot of 
probably shame in a way of just, you know, wanting to be wanted, wanting to have a place to belong. And so there was some abuse happening in the home that I should have probably reported. I shouldn't have had to report, but I should have reported, but I kept quiet until high school when, you know, my parents were divorced. There was just, there was addiction in the home. There was, it was chaotic. And my best friend's family sort of took me in at that point and are now, you know, they're my foundation. They're, they've really stepped up in a way that helped me get to college and process some of those hard things. And so I, I feel like I've seen all these different sides of the system, all these failures of the system, the failure of reunification. When we put kids back with parents that aren't ready to parent, I've seen the failure of adoption. When we don't study and adopt a family close enough, we see them as these martyrs and we don't see how dangerous it can be when you're not really, really checking out a family. And so that's driven my professional passion to fight for systems change. Right. And I love the fact that you're fighting for system change, but I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. So, you know, um, and by the way, I'm getting ready to talk about a touchy subject. I get it. I know I'm going to get the emails and I'm perfectly fine with that. When the Supreme Court overturned Wade versus Roe versus Wade. Okay. One of the things that I have seen throughout social media, and I haven't really been as vocal as maybe I should. I mean, you know, but one of the things I keep seeing, which is just driving me crazy, is that when babies are born, they're immediately given, if the birth parents don't want them, they're immediately given to like an adoption agency. And that's not true. They go into foster care first. Every child that is given up immediately goes into the foster care system, unless there is a private adoption that is set up. Am I right or wrong? Correct. Okay, correct. So here you are. And by the way, everybody, listen to that. Okay. You have a mother who, by the way, should be able to make her own choices. Right. Decided that now she didn't decide, you know, our so-called government made a decision to our leaders that she has to have this child. She has this child. And for all those who keep sending me messages saying, oh, the baby goes to an adoption place if they do, the mother. Do. No, it doesn't. Unless there is a private adoption scheduled and set up, that child goes to foster care. Now, the last time I checked, the 450 some thousand kids, when are you going to open your door? But that'll be for another podcast. So you go into the system as a newborn. Okay. And you're with a family for two years, mind you the most impressionable time of a child's life. You know, that birth to two is like, that is the, that is the, the, and and again, you work for, you're the managing child welfare policy of American Academy of Pediatric. There's nobody that knows it better than you do. So you're in the system for the most impressionable two years and year two, okay? You are taken away from the family, the only family that you've known, by the way, And you're given to what I consider a stranger because you cannot say a sperm donor is a father. If he had not been in your life, he'd not been visiting, he's not been a stranger. Gosh, what were they thinking? And that is what is so frustrating about what's happening in our country right now is that there's so much trauma when you separate a child from their biological parents. Yes, like there are cases where it needs to happen, but there's still so much trauma. And now we're just, we're going to have an explosion of trauma Yeah, in so many ways. And as you said, like zero to two is the most critical time. Zero to nine months is really when you're developing at such a fast pace. Those moments 
oh my gosh, they, they literally impact you down the road when you're 25 years old in the way that you show up in the world. And so, yeah. no, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And by the way, I, you know, as a father of five kids, you know, who my children didn't come to me until after that window, yeah. um, I see the difference. And, you know, Carrie, you just hit the nail on the head. You know, we have so many families, so many families that are torn apart because of this shattered system when, you know, truthfully, it didn't need to be done. I mean, what me, and again, I agree with you a hundred percent that there are moments within a structure of a family that a child does need to be removed. You know, you, two of my kids came in the system with bleeding of the brain, shaken baby syndrome, three broken ribs. Those are, those are reasons that know that that birth parent should not be parenting. But then I have to look at my other kids. And now after years of, you know, really diving into the system and trying to break it apart to see what is happening, I don't understand if we're able to pay a stranger to watch a child. Why can't we pay the birth parents to help them get a lift up? I'm so glad you said that because really we should be working towards the prevention of never having to separate children from their first family and from their first parents. And it's like, I even think about how can we get even more preventative, not only providing resources to families, like counseling, therapy, finances, childcare, whatever it is that eliminates those stressors that lead to child abuse and neglect. How can we prevent those? But really, Rob, I have been thinking so much that it actually, I think, starts in this window of 18 to 30 where if you have experienced trauma and you haven't healed from it in that window, and then you go on to have kids, then you're, there's inevitably you're going to pass it down. And if we don't address healing in that critical stage, I think that's when people end up in the wrong relationships. They end up having kids that they probably shouldn't have had. <laughs> They're just, it's, it's to me, when I think about timeline, really important. Yeah, no, I agree with you. The fact is, is that I feel like we do not address the trauma. You know, I'm 55 years old, grew up very much like you did in the system, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, I love my therapist every Monday that I talk to that I'm still trying to work through the trauma from a young boy and trying to make sure that I don't pass it on. And also trying to figure out how to deal with the trauma that my children um, are dealing with because of, you know, the system touching them. And once the system touches you, it's really hard not to feel broken. Listen, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. This is, again, another amazing conversation. You can email us at, you know, fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. I know a lot of you got an opinion, um, and we're all allowed to have them. And remember, we always don't have to agree. And we'll be right back. This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that inspires our communities to bring hope and dignity to our youth that are in foster care. For just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Case mission and help us eliminate trash bags for kids who are entering foster care. For every $10 that you give, Comfort Cases will give a Comfort XL to a child entering the system. Be part of the change. Visit comfortcases.org.
Wow, you know, what an amazing first half of fostering change. My friend, Carrie Richmond. Carrie, it's, you know, it's always so easy to talk with you because I, one, I do consider you my friend. I don't think you're just an acquaintance or somebody that, oh, I see on social media. I feel like if I had an issue, if I had a problem and I really needed someone, I knew you would always be there just like I would always be there for you. You know, during the break, you and I were having a little conversation and, and you know, so much is going on in the world and so much is going on in our country and so much is going on with our children. You know, one of the things my husband and I were talking the other day, Carrie, was um, how worried we are about our marriage. Um, you know, for those who know, they know I'm in a same-sex marriage. I have five of the most amazing children for my kids being of color. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I keep thinking about are other families who are in the situation that I am. And by the way, you asked me, you know, about the, we've had no support. Okay. So, you know, I feel like we need to do better when it comes to allowing families to adopt and just adopt and then all of a sudden let them just, you know, go on about their lives when there's so much more that we need to do. Well, and, and like adoption is not the period in a sentence, it's a semicolon. And with adoption, the trauma doesn't just go away. There's going to be things that are coming up that you have to work through. And as you were saying, like, you have your own childhood trauma. Your kids separate of you have their own childhood trauma. You're coming together in this family unit. It's almost like your family has to work double time just with that piece of things. Then you layer on interracial family. Then you layer on same-sex marriage. Are you guys all at therapy? <laughs> so let me it? tell you something. You better believe it. But this is the saddest part, though, Carrie. This is what we see so much. And you made the comment about, you know, you know, all of a sudden these foster parents. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, we we went from zero to four kids within three months. You know, all four of them coming in from, you know, not being their first placement. All of them coming in with some type of, you know, alcohol or, or physical abuse or mental abuse, all of this. And then all of a sudden we go through the, the whole um, adoption process, which no support whatsoever. Um, we actually paid for it out of our own pocket, over $60,000. Um, and then the day they signed the adoption papers, we never heard from anybody again. Okay, so there was no follow up of, you know what, you're a gay couple raising four children of color, maybe we can provide this type of service for you. By the way, you have four children from the system who did. No, it was like, oh, look at the look at these saviors. We didn't save anybody. What we did was we ended up putting ourselves on an island that there are days that I barely think that I can swim um, because of not the, the lack, the lack of support. So when I see people sit here and talk about, oh, the system is supporting me, bullshit. Okay. Bullshit. And I'm sorry for my language, everybody, for those of you who don't want to follow me anymore, but I'm telling you like it is. Okay. The system is shattered. It is shattered. And yeah. that we must, we've got to, we got to figure this out. And your story is so important to hear you say, you sign the adoption papers. No one ever checks back in on you. This is why kids are getting abused in adoptive families. Thank God you and Reese are two loving parents and you get it and you're, you understand the stakes of giving kids a loving home more than most. But in a lot of these cases, people are so shocked to find out that there are abusive adoptive families. Oh. And yeah, you're giving them a pathway because you're not 
no one's showing up to check back in on how the adoption's going. No one's showing up to provide them supports that are really needed. These families need the most supports. Like, come on. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, I remember when two years ago, when my son was diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder, I had no idea what the hell that was. I had no idea what to expect. I had no idea what my husband and I were going to get ready to go through along with our other children, you know, and once again, and by the way, even to this day, Carrie, my husband and I, it, it, there's been no support throughout the, the system. A lot of finger pointing, um, which is something we seem to always want to do. A lot of shaming, okay? A lot of shaming, you know? And again, I, I'm the first one to tell people, I'm a white privileged male, Carrie. You know, I don't know what it's like to be a woman and going through the discrimination that we are seeing within our country of you being second-class citizens. And I definitely do not know what it's like to be a person of color, you know? But the one thing that I do know is that I'm willing to be educated. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to be educated. What are we gonna do to get people to realize that that's what we have to do with these adoptions? Mm -hmm. and, I, and thank you for saying that. But also, like, you're somebody who's in a same-sex marriage. So you're still running up into, like, your own set of barriers and the way that there is that system set up and the way that, you know, we don't have equal rights still in so many different areas. And so there is this marginalization. And I think we have a real shame problem, especially when it comes to parents. We, we make it seem in America that if you are not being a perfect parent, like there is, it's just punishment. Whereas we need people to be supportive. We need parents to be able to say, I want to choke out my kid today because they're so frustrating. And that be like, okay, we know you want to, please don't. Like, what, what do you need? Do you need a break? Do you need a date night? Do you need, what is it? Right, right. And, and when we don't give space to that, that's when people snap. That's when, you know, shit hits the fan. Sorry to your followers. I guess we're just, we're just going <laughs> to throw it out there. Be really raw and unfiltered today. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And you are exactly right. The fact is, is that, you know, there's so much shaming out there. And by the way, Carrie, um, there's a lot of shaming when it comes to those of us that have aged out of the system against each other. Something that I was kind of surprised to see that, and I've seen it a lot lately where, you know, maybe we all don't choose the right words. And, and for me, I'm a big word guy. I am, I believe that we have to set the narrative of people in our community to truly understand what children in the system are all about. And I think that as long as we keep calling them foster children, mm. we're going to continue to keep our human mindset set on that foster means bad. Yes. means what did they do to get into the system? Yes. What did they do to be placed in home after home? What did they do to be in a residential facility? And it's not that. And what it is, it's, it's what did, what happened to them? You know, who did that to them? And I think that if we start the narrative and say children, all of a sudden my heart warms when I say, hear the word child and then say foster. After yeah. child foster care, child experiencing foster care. Yeah. We know by studies that when we change the narrative of people who are experiencing homelessness, that we all of a sudden started changing the narrative as how our community looked at people who were experiencing homelessness. And I think that we need to have the same type of pathway, Carrie, when it comes to children in the foster care system. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. Words matter. Language matters. It frames the way that people then address creating solutions or not. 
And when we put a circumstance before a person, you're also dehumanizing the whole issue. And so I, I love that you say that. I love you use that language. Um, I think a lot about the animal welfare movement. And if you remember, if we went 20 years back, all it was, was those Sarah McLaughlin commercials that are really sad and they would play in the arms of an angel and they would show these like really like beaten up dogs. And there was this narrative that do not go to the shelter to get a dog because those dogs are dangerous. Those dogs will bite your kids. Those dogs are not worthy of homes. And if you look at the animal welfare movement and you compare it to the child welfare movement, well, we should probably look at the way that they changed their messaging because they changed the language to adopt, don't shop, like adopt. There's so much love in getting um, a dog from a shelter and like it. And now it's a completely different way. Now everyone wants to go adopt a dog rather than go to a breeder. I agree. So I agree. I we can learn a lot. I agree. And you know, the thing that gets me is, okay, I understand the whole privacy thing. You know, by the way, you're the manager of child welfare policy for American Academy of Pediatrics. You understand the whole HIPAA and all that. We get that. But there are still 120,000 children in our foster care system that the parents' rights have been terminated and they're just waiting for a forever family. I don't understand why we have not invested in a marketing campaign that is larger than life larger than Sarah McLaughlin, you know, where we are showing these beautiful humans and letting people know that they need a home and they need love and they need to know that someone is there. You know, when my son Alex, you know, I, my son Alex is 21 years old. He arrived at the age of 18. And I remember he being asked, why would we ever do this? And I said, because every child deserves to have a foundation. Every child deserves to know that when they are in their journey of life, there is someone that has their back unconditionally. So I truly believe you. I'm agree with You're you. You're child and Alex was 18 when he came into your home. Technically, by our standards, he was an adult. But, and so it, what it speaks to is that it's not just about children needing to feel that love, to have that family, to know that they have somewhere to belong. Everyone needs Everyone. to feel belonging. And and that's why, like, also people don't know adult adoptions are a thing. They are. Yeah. And we're doing one right now. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you, Carrie. I agree. Listen, I tell you what, you are absolutely unbelievable as usual. I love you. Unbelievableresilient.org. Is that how they locate you? Um, our website is ur-resilient.org. ur-resilient.org, guys. Listen up. We're going to have that link here. Go show the love. You know, show the love. Donate. You know, donate. I'm a huge believer that when you lift other nonprofits up, you actually lift yourself up. So donate, go and donate, continue this storytelling. The more stories we tell, the more normalized, you will see that each and every one of us are. And a lot of us have more in common than we do not. Carrie, I cannot thank you enough for being on, on another episode of Fostering Change. Um, I want you back. I want us to co-host some things. I want us to have those hot topics that my ladies at The View have. Um, I think that it would be absolutely amazing for us to continue the conversation, the real conversation that people actually need to hear. Before we cut out, Carrie, is there any last words you'd like to say? No, just thank you for having me on. It's always so much fun. And 
you're interested in learning more about the work that's going on at Unbelievably Resilient, you can also follow us on Instagram at URresilient and keep up to date with all the latest happenings. We've got to have you on our podcast, Rob. It'd be so fun. So I'm excited to cause more good trouble together. Yes. And I'm excited for you and I to have dinner. So I love you to the moon and back. Everybody, again, this is another amazing episode of Fostering Change. Thank you for actually catapulting us to number one in the adoption foster care arena. And remember, each and every one of us have a responsibility. And that responsibility is that we must lead by example. Take care, everyone. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.